When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode of the Bird Shot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we welcome back Justin Berkeley to recap his season on the road. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 219. Welcome into another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. We'll bring Justin into the conversation shortly, but we've got to say thank you to Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast. Listeners out there chipping in a few bucks every month in support of the show, which is always appreciated. Those listeners are eligible for monthly giveaways. They get some bonus content on the Patreon page, and we get them some can coolers and stickers as a little thank you as well. You can check that out and sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Everybody else, if you'd consider leaving the Birdshot Podcast a rating, a review, subscribe to the show, follow the show, whatever you can do in the podcast app that you're listening on, that also helps to support the show and just takes a moment of your time, so thanks for that as well. All right, quick intro today. That's pretty much all I got for you. I'm getting ready to head out to Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, spend some time out there next week. We've got gun fittings going on for Upland Gun Company. I'll be doing a little turkey hunting towards the end of the week. Can't wait for that. Turkey hunting seems to be really heating up around here. Lots of text messages and 
photos being shared from friends. Buddy Ted Summer, who's been on the show a number of times, bagged beautiful Tom in Wisconsin yesterday. Shout out to Ted. He's got me all fired up for my hunt coming up at the end of next week. And we've got a little turkey talk mixed into this week and next week's episode for sure. I know I've been going through my gear a little bit, setting up my new Final Rise Summit Series turkey vest in the Mossy Oak Bottomlands camo. Love that thing. I cannot wait to bust it out in the woods next week. It's going to be a big improvement over the vest I had been using, which definitely did the trick in helping get me started. So I think we will welcome our guest into the show. You may recall a conversation we had with Justin late last summer, very early fall, where he was out in Montana on the prairie doing some scouting and getting ready to embark on a season-long adventure of sorts where he would spend the entirety of the season essentially on the road, in the field, hunting Montana, Michigan, and Arizona. I reconnected with Justin a bit towards the end of the season. We got to talking a little bit about some of the highs and lows, memories made, and thought it'd be fun to have Justin back on the show to recap some of the things he learned and how that much hunting and time in the field advance the development of his bird dogs so we cover all that and more on today's show i had a great time catching up with justin i think you'll enjoy this one and with that said let's welcome into the conversation and back to the bird shot podcast justin berkeley welcome back to the show buddy been not too long but a lot has happened since we last spoke a whole hunting season how you been i've been all right i'm uh currently back up in michigan i know last time we talked i was living in the truck out on the prairie in montana and (laughs) now i'm back up in michigan living here and picked up a camper and things aren't going too bad the dogs and i are just sitting around getting kind of fat (laughs) i love it man your your com it it brings me back immediately chatting with you last fall at that point you were out there kind of pre-scouting it must have been early september when we were talking or maybe august maybe it was august when, end of august yeah, yeah end of august so you're out there running birds and everybody myself included we were all listening you know eagerly anticipating the the season ahead and now we're we're looking back and reflecting and it, it's it's pains me to admit that it, I had to use the snowblower this morning on April April twenty first. It wasn't a, it wasn't an absolute necessity, but I figured there was enough snow out there. I might as well go burn out the rest of the gas in the snowblower, and hopefully that'll be the last time I use it. But it's a far cry from looking ahead to September sharp tails, buddy. I know it's a long ways away. It seems like, but it always comes in. It it seems it go by really fast. Yeah, no doubt, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, I've got, the, I've got some puppies coming in. That would be kind of fun for next year, too. So that's another thing I'm looking at, which will help the summer go by a little bit faster. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been pretty busy. I have yet to – I haven't really spent a lot of time on YouTube or even checking out a lot of the stuff from last hunting season. I know there's, there's some new channels and stuff popping up, and I tend to enjoy checking out other bird hunters and seeing their adventures. I have yet to do that, but how did uh, – how did that side of things go, capturing stuff, and did you did you put up a bunch of YouTube videos? I've got a um, few up from Montana, some Merns hunting stuff up. Uh, right now, I'm working on a little uh, hunting with the homies little series. And <laughs> the guys that I hunt with, we, you know, they go out on these trips with us, and I've just kind of been putting together a little video. And those are some of my my favorite hunts of the year, I guess, or the the week that they spend in camp, yeah. whether. It'd be in Michigan, or if we do, we always did a grouse camp in Michigan for a weekend. And these guys who, you know, I pretty much introduced to 
upland hunting and you know we got involved with cliff some of these guys known since work or or high school one of them really and um yeah we i didn't enjoy getting out with those guys seeing them take their first species uh buddy of mine jake we're headed to the turkey woods tomorrow try to get his first turkey he shot his first deer last year did his first out-of-state hunt he's ever done came out to montana and after doing sharp tails and stuff in the up the season before he was like let's go i was like let's go do it for real and go out west and <laughs> he's ramping we'll up there yeah and so yeah he had a great time doing that these guys get to come see you know parts of the country and stay with me and cliff and do stuff they probably wouldn't do otherwise yeah very cool yeah well before we we're going to talk plenty of upland birds let's let's talk a little bit of turkey because we were texting last night and you said you got a date with the turkey tomorrow what's the what's the scoop when did michigan season open it opens tomorrow we oh, have okay. uh yeah we have a lottery for state land and it breaks it up into i guess two week seasons and there's a couple seasons that are broke up for the early is start of the season and the end of the season mm-hmm. and um then we have some private property tags one of them that runs through the whole six weeks of the season pretty much and then another one that does about a month but you can hunt north northern part of the state and the southern so i'll probably end up doing that and then uh but yeah i'm taking one of my buddies out tomorrow i've been putting this bird to bed for a couple of weeks i feel like <laughs> i know i pretty much i've got him figured out there's a couple of them a few of them in that little area and my buddy shot his first deer last year and did this trip and we've been talking he was like turkey's the next thing on my list and i was like well you i'll pencil you in for this spring and i was like you and i can go out and we'll try to get you one yeah so i'm not even carrying a gun i'm just going i'm going to try to see if i can get him in and get him on a bird and then i'll go out and worry about getting myself one at some point i love it all right so i'm I'll try to keep this succinct but we'll, we'll see because i'm i'm getting into turkey hunting myself and i'm I find it interesting based on sort of my trips to Michigan, lower Michigan, which are pretty few, but I've seen enough of the country. And I know you're down in Southern Michigan, so I've pretty much only been up to the North, but from what I can see, um, seems like Turkey hunting would be pretty good around there. What's the, what's the status of Turkey hunting in Michigan? Is it, is it pretty big, pretty popular? We're a one bird state. Okay. And I think that helps. Yep. Yeah, it could turn your turkey season into a half hour mm-hmm. and a couple clucks, and that's about it. But um, and I've had that happen, and it's it's a little bittersweet. But at the same time, as a turkey hunter, I don't think you really pass up an opportunity when you get one. Yeah, you know. So I um, it's it. I think it helps keep their numbers pretty steady. At least I've never really had an issue. Yeah, playing with a few birds in a day. If you, you know, if you're running around, you can find them on a roost and should be able to line yourself up with at least playing with one of them. You know, you're not going to get them all, but you, you sit there and eventually through the season, like I've taken some state land birds and private property birds and state land birds are get a little educated as the season goes on. Mm-hmm. But I'll be running around with my dad next week. And I know my sister and my brother-in-law get turkey tags. We're going to take my nephew out, I think on his first hunt this year, he's going to be four in May. So okay. he's not, shooting but we're gonna try to take them out maybe set them in a blind yeah <laughs> yep. we can sit still long enough but uh we'll go do that and yeah it's uh there's a number of guys up here that do it it's obviously not as big as our deer hunting is here but yeah. there's a lot of guys that go out and chase turkeys our our lottery system and the way they have it set up it keeps a lot of pressure out of the woods at one time yeah on state land so you got a pretty good opportunity around here yeah it's it sounds quite a bit like 
and I'm just getting familiar with all this stuff. And I've, the two states I've hunted now are Minnesota, Wisconsin, and they're pretty different. And Wisconsin's sort of system, on my estimation, is is older. Uh, it's more, it's a zone approach, and then it's lottery, and they have, you know, some zones you can get more birds, and other zones you can get one. And um, the way that works out for me, unfortunately, is I'm trying to hunt the sort of the northwest part of the state by me and that's lottery and I'm a non-resident so I'm three years in a row without getting a tag there which is kind of a bummer just because I would I'd love to be able to hunt over there every year but again it's just part of the part of the system and the way it works right now so we'll see if that ever changes but Minnesota recently switched to a one bird state like that they have week-long seasons that are kind of broken up beginning middle of April and then you pick one week early, you can, you get one bird, you can hunt basically anywhere in the state. They essentially did away with the zones. And I guess I shouldn't claim every, all of this is fact, but this is my general understanding of it. Right. And you yeah. kind of hunt. Yeah. Look up your, look up the laws before exactly. you go out. Don't quote. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but basically you can kind of hunt anywhere. And that was, I think done because turkeys were sort of doing this northward expansion and rather than put in zones up north and stuff, um, just sort of said you can go hunt anywhere, but you get, you know, you get one bird, but that allows me to go out and hunt around here and get my one bird. And then if you don't, if you don't get a bird during your, the season that you elect early, then you can, you can hunt the last two weeks in May, you know, kind of the, kind of the tail end of the season. Again, me being in the Northern part of the state, I feel like it kind of works in my favor. At least it has for the last couple of years since I've been doing it, but yeah, it's interesting the way all- I, I kind of like that. If you don't get your bird and your designated time you get these last two weeks you can go out and try again yeah i do kind of like that yeah and i think i mean i don't again i haven't done it enough to know like what more pressured areas and stuff look like but it's uh, that the last two weeks i i think i got my bird the last day or two of the season last year so right at the end and um i i don't know if i ever saw another i probably was only in the woods five or six days too so i didn't i didn't hunt that much but like you said you know your season could be over in a hurry but you could go out with somebody else it's a I'm starting to think about that side of things, like you mentioned, mentoring and um, very cool hunt to do with one other per, you know, another person, uh, interactive. Like I would love to, I'd love to take somebody out just to kind of keep getting more experience myself, but also maybe show somebody else that hasn't hunted turkeys. That's I'm kind of thinking about that this year. If if I'm lucky enough to to bag one or end my season early, I guess. Yeah, that's what my uh, my sister and my brother-in-law, actually, I took both of them individually. This was years ago out on their first hunts, and now they go out together. You that's know, they've cool. gone out and got birds together. I've gone out with them since then, and um, I get our turkey season, we didn't have one when I was really young. I couldn't give you the exact age when it came back, but I was probably... 10 11 12 13 somewhere in there and now i'm i mean i'm 34 so ever since the season opened back up in michigan me and my dad have been out chasing turkeys yep pretty much every spring and so i've been i've got a little background in it and we were not very successful in the beginning just you know here i've never hunted a turkey let's go figure this out right and so and i mean i was young and but we ended up you know got it figured out and it's it's something i enjoy doing i like talking to them and playing with them and yep. kind of you can make them that's one thing that's nice being on the public is you can make a move on a bird you know you're not sitting put but at the same time you can on private you can build a little relationship with that bird and play with it more than once sure yeah not you know he's not necessarily going to get messed with so it's only you 
and your mistakes that he's learning from yeah. instead of everybody's mistakes. So yeah, it's it's I enjoy it. And I kind of like sharing that with people. It is one of them things when you get a big Eastern with you know right there gobbling in your face or lifting to him up on the roost. And there's there's been people that I've talked to about you know who know nothing really about turkeys, and they're like they, they sleep in trees. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> right. you know, and they're yep. like, you're doing what? And it's like you go out in the morning and you you know strike up a time and you make a move on and you find him when he's in the tree. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's so many angles. It's, it's really, it's interesting too. And that's part of it for me too, is that they literally were not here when I was growing. I mean, there was no season in this part of the world. I mean, I, the area, I used to deer hunt in areas that are, you know, kind of covered up in turkeys now and I never saw turkeys. So it's, it's new for me. And, and that's the thing, getting to chase them on, on big woods, sort of public land where I'm grouse hunting. Um, it's, it's really cool overlap. And then you're out in the woods in the spring, um, so that's, that's really neat. And I've, I haven't done a lot, if any of sort of the, maybe the more traditional kind of private land, ag, pasture, woodland mix. My first hunt was kind of like that in, in Southern Wisconsin, but, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different, a lot of different angles and approaches to it, but it's, that's, it's yeah. In the Southern half of the state, we got a lot of ag. Yeah. So that's where, you know, you're, you can spot these birds that are just out strutting fields. You can see them coming from a long ways. Yeah. We'll, we'll wrap this up shortly, but what is your go-to, let's say you are hunting public land. You're kind of, you're kind of running and gunning or, or moving You're you're mobile. What's your setup? Like you, you got a box call and a couple mouth calls. Like, what are you doing? Um, I actually have a, it was made here in Michigan. It's a custom made slate call. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't even tell you I've had it so long. I couldn't tell you exactly who made it, but it's just, to me, it sounds like a Michigan Turkey. Okay made here type of thing but i do i prefer a slate call and i don't do i don't do a whole lot of yelping no one wants a woman who's yelling at him i try to purr i guess <laughs> is my my method to it i'm going to give a lot more purrs and clucks to try to lure him in that way but um i do i'm hit or miss on decoys if i think i'm running and chasing a bird i may not take him but if i'm gonna i like i'll call and sit i think your best bet sometimes just waiting that bird out because eventually he'll come through there. You just need to shut up and stop calling. Is at this at, like are you after you've located a bird? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. After I've located her to gobble, I'll set up and sit and just I will. Man, I've been taking a nap and have that turkey come walking in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I've been sitting there quiet now for probably an hour and a half and I haven't called, and he just took that long for him to be like, "Well, I guess it's safe to go check it out." Yep. And have him come in and spot a decoy and come charging into it. So if I'm doing that, I'll set a decoys. But I pretty much only run. Uh, I have a few of them. I've got some avian X, but I really only use my lay down hen and a uh, half strut Jake. Okay. Yeah. And put them pretty much put that Jake on top of that hen. So he looks like he's trying to breed her. And I've had pretty good success with that. Yeah. That's, that's the other interesting thing. Me coming in sort of new to it, like sort of trying to wrap my head around all the different kind of tactics and, and, you know, do you decoy, do you not decoy the, the sitting and waiting and, um, man, that I had an example last year where, again, just like you pointed out, you make a call and you sit there for an hour and, you know, you might, your tendency might be like, well, this is hopeless. Why am I sitting here? But that Turkey might just be taking a long time. And they knew like right where you were like there, which this is nothing new to anybody that's been hunting turkeys for a long time, but their ability to kind of pinpoint where a call came from. And, oh, yeah. and la- last year I, I was on this, it was a foggy rainy day sat down on this little corner of a of a field edge 
and made a call and was sitting there and you know i don't know how long i was sitting there but it was however long it was it was the point where i was like well nothing's coming you know and then sure enough like six feet over my shoulder a hen turkey had looped right in around behind me and i never never even heard her approach or anything and she didn't uh she didn't totally spook off but she she startled me pretty good just sneaking up on me like that and it was just it was kind of an eye-opening light bulb moment like wow she heard exactly where my call was and just took her time coming over to check me out i almost think when you're sitting there too just your i try to not wear i personally i try not to wear matching camo mm. so i'm wearing like one camo from this and one camo from that and just to break things up yeah because i if you start to look like a dark object in that brush and you you know they can't see through you mm-hmm I almost like if you will sit still enough and they come in, they will. I've had that happen a lot to where they're looking in there and they're like, that must be it in there. And you haven't talked in a while. You haven't really spooked them and you've just been waiting. And I've had some birds get those are the ones that seem to get the closest. Yeah. Like you're saying. And, you know, I haven't called in an hour or whatever, hour and a half and just sitting here and waiting on that bird. And they have been coming in real cautious and you've been sitting still and they just pick out kind of your blob in that bush at just how it doesn't match or it looks like a dark spot yeah. at a distance and they will hone in right on that. Yeah. Their eyesight and their ears will get you. Cause a lot of times I won't even, I like rustling leaves around. Yep. Yep. You know, I'm, I try to be as non, not too vocal with them. I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't yelp a whole lot. I'm more of a, soft purrs and messing with the leaves type of guy when I'm messing with turkeys. So if you were moving through, say, some public land woods, how would you go about locating? Would you just kind of stop and do clucks and purrs, or do do you rip out a slight yelp from time to time? Yeah, or? I, I mean, I'll hit a little sear, just, you know, three or four notes at a time, you know, here or there, but I'm not, I guess once I, once I locate one, I'm definitely not and or yelping at him, and then at the other thing is I've had a lot of turkeys just gobble at me walking through the woods. You're you're just walking along, they hear the steps and they gobble. They hear yeah. the leaves, yeah. yeah. If you take your time and I mean there's only there's only so many two legged creatures in the woods that sound like that when their feet are hitting the ground. And humans and turkeys are pretty much the only ones. You know, and um but yeah, I've had them gobble just from hearing those leaves and then you just sit down and you you're now close to that bird. You didn't spook him, there's no chance he was really coming to you you weren't he didn't hear you calling from a long ways away and you hit him with a few purrs and clucks and he's like oh they must just be over there feeding and and leaves and comes in you know i've had some pretty good success i've i I enjoyed turkey hunting a lot yeah so yeah i've had some decent success over the years and i a lot of times i'm trying to find a buddy or you know family member somebody with a tag so i can extend it more rather than just going out and shooting my one and calling it good and right to go out, get some more experience, get some more encounters. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I've been doing that now for a long time. So it's been, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think I've probably got six people or so lined up with tags for this season, but okay. we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how much I can, what I can squeeze in. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I, the, uh, last season was really good for me because I was hunting on my own. I, I ended up not being able to meet up with my buddy and do our, kind of joint hunt who's he'd been kind of guiding me along for a couple years and so i was basically on my own last year and it ended up being really good because i you know i made some mistakes had some encounters ended up bagging a bird um but just kind of had a lot of a lot of things happen in in one season and i remember the day i got my bird 
the morning I was, I was hiking down trying to get to this one spot and it was, I was a little late. I, I got to drive a little ways from my house to get to an area and you know, whatever it was, I was a little behind. So I kind of was getting close to where I wanted to. And I can't remember if I stopped to call or if I heard a yelp, I might've just heard something and I stopped and I yelped and I sat down and it was, it was in these big spruce trees, pretty dark in there. And I sat down and sure enough, like a minute or two later, I heard a fly down and I'm like, you know, again, like I haven't, haven't had that many turkey encounters and all of a sudden I see this bird coming through the, the brush and I'm just like, oh my gosh. And it comes, it's, it's, there's two of them and they're making their way towards me and they looked, I, I don't remember exactly what was going through my mind at the time other than I did not see a beard and, you know, I didn't see a big strutting gobbler. Like that's just an example of like when you're totally new and you haven't had enough um, interactions and these birds came through at 15 yards. I mean, they walked right past me. I wasn't calling or doing anything. And they kind of like something in my mind was like, man, is that a Jake? But it wasn't enough. And and I remember I pretty quickly wrote them off as hens and they just walked right by and I never even considered shooting them. And I ended up seeing those two birds later that morning and saw that they were Jake's after it got lighter out. Um, I saw him again and could have shot him again, but at that point I just decided not to. Um, and then later in that day, I ended up bagging a gobbler. So it, it all worked out like in a, in a cool way, but it was like, I had Jake's, I had Jake's right in front of me and I, I just couldn't even identify him. Like it was, you know, again, just being totally new. <laughs> yeah. And that's what, uh, like hunting with some of these guys and, uh, taking them out West is having them shoot their first, like they got into their first hunts. Um, it was the first day they, they drove out to Montana and woke up. They got there, I think, at 2 in the morning, one thirty in the morning. And Cliff and I were there, and I had my teepee, my tent set up for them. And we were like, all right, guys, go to bed. And we got up that morning, and there they are. They're, they get out of the tent, and they're shooting at stuff, and they've never seen it. you know. So I'm going <laughs> over and kind of showing it to them and telling them what to shoot at. And having those people, like you said, you had kind of a mentor with turkey hunting, yep. having someone who's willing to kind of put in the time and help you out with that is very beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of seg- segueing to, to up with birds now, like when you got your buddies out, like what do you think is drawing them to the, to the hunt? Is it, is it the dog? Is it the bird? Is it the place? Like what are some of the things that they say? Um, I think it's the place is part of it. Yeah. I guess you're like see, getting to come out and see some of these places. And I mean, at this point, these guys didn't upland hunt and they, they'd gone out in Michigan with us. And one of them, I mean, he still hasn't, he's only been out with us in Michigan rough grouse hunting a handful of times. So he's a pretty big duck hunter. And, okay. Um, he ended up coming out to Montana and Arizona this year and he's never even shot a rough. And, you know, he's never, he's, and I don't think he shot a pheasant when he went with us either. So he's never actually harvested a, michigan upland bird and he was like all right i'm going to do this somewhere else it was just (laughs) love it yeah you know so it's not even the shooting things necessarily you know or but or the birds themselves but yeah so i would say a lot of the draw is like the places the whole package yeah now that like you watch the dogs mature and develop through doing this and the guys are kind of the same thing Cause now that when there's a dog on point i'm not even other than i got a camera and i kind of want to be there to get it I'm not even worried about getting over there. Yeah. Because they know they're not shooting at it. If it goes bad and a bird gets busted, they have their own. They're not really. And never, it's never. I mean, it's 
not always perfect. Things happen. Yeah. And a lot more birds get busted when there's five guys and no doubt. multiple dogs in the field just from the pressure on the birds themselves anyway. They'll kind of flush wild on you. But um, they've, you know, they have their own limitations where they're like, ah, it wasn't perfect. And then there's times where they're working a dog and you just kind of see them over there and you'll, they'll get kicking around and no one else are over there and they'll look at the dog, say the dog's name, and the dog moves up and relocates and they're moving up on the bird themselves. And, you know, we've got enough guys and dogs that we might be spread out over a couple hundred yards. And, yeah. and there's one of your buddies over there working with your dog and they, everyone comes back, got a big smile on their face, you know, dogs doing its job and they're out having a good time doing it. Get a kick. So I that. think that's a big, the dogs are also a big draw too. Yeah. They've all, you know, it's kind of been brought up now as the guys have been doing this with us over the years and, you know, I think next year I might get a dog in this kind of thing, or I might get a dog in another season or so or something like that. But there's a couple guys that are now mm-hmm. looking into getting a dog. And I was looking to possibly do a litter myself, but I just, I think I'm waiting. I think it's going to be too close to season. I'd rather have never in shape for running birds than just getting over whelping a litter of pups and yeah. stuff. So yeah. I kind of need dogs for finding birds. That's my thing. So I think next year a uh, couple guys are I'm probably going to do a litter and a couple of guys are keeping a pup or two. Cool. Yeah, so you can you can see the trajectory they're on at this point. Yeah, yo yeah, <laughs> they definitely I've been there with my buddy Jake for every bird he's taken, big game animal, and tomorrow we're going to do his turkey. try to get his first turkey. That's cool. And yeah, it's an awesome little journey to be on a watch, I guess. You know, I don't I don't have any kids to kind of them passing this on to. So if I could if I can uh, get my buddies to go along and I have one of, <laughs> one of my buddies says that uh, he goes, my drinking buddies have a hunting problem. <laughs> you know, so it's, you know, we're all friends anyway. And now that we, it, we find found something to do, you know, yeah. that we really enjoy getting together, doing and get to go do something that probably most group of guys aren't, you know, we're going to live in the middle of nowhere for a week and, you know, we're going to go into town and maybe get a meal and a drink here or there, but we're spending our time just hanging out around camp and chasing dogs around. And yeah. So it's become a lot of fun to go do with these guys. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a blast, man. There's a, there's a lot uh, lot worse things you guys could be up to. That's for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So and it's fun to it's not, fun to share it with people, which everybody listening to this knows. But yeah, and that's you know, I don't like I said, I got kind of a small small little niche group of friends there's even a couple guys that don't make it on the trip i mean there's only five or six people i feel like i'm fairly close with and there's five guys six guys that go on these trips occasionally you know so i that's pretty much what we do and we we all found something that we enjoy doing and if i can help them out with their experience i guess in the outdoors and share some of my knowledge and pass things along to them that's what i'm trying to do and they seem to they enjoy it so yeah yeah you know the other thing too i mean finding uh finding good hunting partners or hunting friends is not it's not as easy as oh you hunt i hunt let's go hunt you know there's there's so many different sort of approaches and mentalities out there so it's a you kind of got to find a mix of um you know a lot of people sort of just it's your friends first and then you start hunting together and that's one way to do it but um if not if you just meet sort of another bird hunter um i found there there's kind of a big question mark as far as like hey are we going about this the same way do our do our styles mesh together and uh, you know we can always go hunt on our own and sort of 
sharing it at the tailgate, but, but finding people that you enjoy hunting with is not, not as easy as it maybe sounds on paper. Yeah. That's uh cliff and I were probably that, uh, that's how we started. You know, we used to start hunting. Um, we met at a hunt test or yep. field trial. I remember then, that. Yeah. Yep. And then we rolled in, it took a couple of years. We went exploring new spots and stuff. And actually last season that was cool was to do with him. Uh, we went up and did, we started UP sharp tails about four years ago, unsuccessfully. And then I went with a different buddy of mine, took him up. And then last year, Cliff and I went and went out just the one day open and morning. And we went out and Cliff finally, we both shot our two birds that morning and Cliff finally got his here in Michigan. And it felt like it was just something we checked off the list. We had unfinished <laughs> business going up there to do it together and kind of do that. And so me, Cliff and I did that in October and, ran around chasing roughs for a minute once i uh once we got back here to michigan and uh but yeah that was that was a cool little thing to go do with him and kind of after getting back and it was our first hunt together after getting back really and it was like all right that was it's checked off the list i'm not coming up here to do this again yeah, uh, yeah. That was, i'm done with it and so unless my dad or somebody wanted to go right. just because of the limited opportunity and the yep. number number of guys that are up there doing that i just yeah i'm gonna spend my put my efforts into something that's a little bit more uh not so crowded i guess yeah yeah no it's, it's cool i mean it's cool that the and i won't comment on like knowing exactly what the ins and outs of it but the the michigan sharptails are doing well enough that there can still be a hunting season at this point yep yeah it is it's uh it's the furthest the furthest eastern most population right. that there is and yeah it's uh it's a cool bird. It's definitely, uh, it, they look different slightly than the birds out West. I will say that. What In what, like, in what way do you think? Size wise and okay. almost like the pigment. Like we had, I had a bird in the freezer. Like, do you think they're darker? We were, I'm not, it's all the birds out West. I don't know if they're dusty or dirty. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Cause it's so dusty. And then the birds up North are living in the pine, but it almost, they look a little, the details are a little bit finer interesting i guess on it. just looking at them i don't know if that's that's about the only thing i could come up with i mean but they do have a slightly different look when you get them in your hand yeah that's I it couldn't quite pinpoint down what it is but yeah definitely different slightly different looking bird and size wise they seem to be just a little bit smaller a little smaller in michigan yeah yeah okay interesting yeah i've, I've never i've never had a well i did I, I got a Minnesota sharptail, which was, that was my first sharptail that I ever killed, which was not, not nearly as far east as a Michigan sharptail. And it's kind of, it's, it was further east than, than where you would think you're going to find sharptails in Minnesota, but it was, um, sort of edge of, edge of the prairie. But to your point, like th those birds over in Michigan, you know, there's enough geographic separation, you know, that population ha has some evolution and natural selection all of its own and, yeah. and it's yeah. in, in that geographic location so it wouldn't shock me that there there could be those subtle differences that's interesting yeah and that was I, that was one of the cool things i guess about doing some of this is the the different types of birds i got to see this year and like the different birds that the dogs got to see this year and how they handle differently and that type of thing and that was a cool experience in itself here's a question for you do the to the birds in Michigan, do they have a UP accent? Do they sound different when they laugh at you? <laughs> no, not quite. I don't know if they uh, if they sound any different now. It seems like the roughs up there are always bigger. 
Really? I just feel like you're finding, yeah, I feel like you're finding dinosaurs up there. <laughs> Some of the biggest birds I've shot have been come from up there for sure. That's cool. Um, this year, the one thing we did, uh, we were pretty sure we saw a wolf up there this year across the trail in front of us. Cliff and I both thought it was the dog. Mm. And then the next thing you know, the GPS is beeping and the dog was actually standing behind us. And when we got to that spot, really? road, it got kind of goofy. Yeah. That's kind of the telltale signs. Yeah. So it was, we we're pretty sure we saw one. I mean, I, I spend a little bit of time up there every year and it seems like there's more and more sign. Again, I haven't had a run in yep. with one, but that was, I, if I, I wrote this down, if I had to sum up the season, uh, into a small phrase, I guess, um, if you spend enough time somewhere, you'll see all of its beauty and find all of its evil. So that I was like that. kind of correlates. And yeah, that's, you can pull up and it's going to look beautiful, but if you spend, you know, we run these dogs in places where there are things that happen. If you spend enough time there, you may just find some of it. Yeah. Yep. It may not be in a weekend trip, but I mean, I spent an extended period of time in a few of these places and had a couple run-ins with some things through the season, porcupines in Montana. And then, oh yeah. Um, yep. I did had a couple run-ins and then um, down in Arizona, with lady, you know, valley fever down there so that was that was my uh my little note was you kind of got to be keep in, keep in mind that these things are play, there but i wouldn't let it keep you out of the wood right there yeah. there's there's risk every time you put a dog down but unfortunately that risk is sometimes you know fatal and and that does that does happen and sort everybody that cuts a bird dog loose has to be prepared for that I, Nothing like that has ever happened to me knocking on wood, but um, we get reminders of that every season, and and you got one this season in, in a really terrible way. Yeah, I might as well. I'll touch on that a little bit since we're. I kind of brought it up. Uh, I was down in Arizona, and that lady ended up catching valley fever. I got her into the vet on Thursday. Uh, she wouldn't eat Thursday morning, took her into the vet, and come – Saturday afternoon, I lost her, and they put her on meds and antibiotics and steroids, and they thought it was a just a just you know pretty much. And she thought that she had an infection at first around her lungs, and they were like, "Yo, we're gonna start this." And we had another appointment scheduled for Monday, and she didn't quite make it that far. And uh, we didn't, you know, the vet asked if I wanted to do the test after, you know, if I there was anything I wanted to do, I guess. And I was kind of, we talked about her symptoms and kind of what was going on. And that was his best answer he could give me. Yeah. So I guess I don't have a hundred percent of that's what it was, but given where I was and what was going on there, um, Valley fever for people who don't know is a fungal. I've done a lot of research on it now. Yeah. Is a fungal thing that grows in the ground. And when the earth is disturbed, it can get released and dogs can get it. So, while I was down there, I was hunting an area where there's some construction going on. I went through there with Lady. And that is the only thing where there's a lot of disturbed soil that I could come up with where she might have, you know, most likely picked that up and why she was the one who got it and, I, and the rest of them didn't. But um, it hit fast, and that's what the vet kind of said. She was a uh, – she, she was only two. Yeah. Um. One second. 
Yeah, she was only two, so she was she was just she was strong. She was in her prime, and the vet probably said that's why it wasn't noticed mm. right away. Is because the dog was healthy as could be. You know, she'd been they were all the dogs had been out and running since end of July. You know, so they they had a lot of miles on them and did a lot this season. And I just thought she Wednesday she looked a little skinny. I fed her twice Thursday morning. I went to feed her and she wouldn't eat. And I knew there was an issue, and so the doctor said that's probably why it hit so like it did is because it was actually on the tail end of it anyway. And I didn't notice anything prior because of how healthy she was. Yeah. But that was, um, we're lucky, I guess, as humans, I, I kind of try to roll with the punches. Um, you know, I, I live this lifestyle kind not to, uh, be dragged down by anything. I guess I try to be fairly happy with my life and what I'm doing. And I don't know, we don't, we only get to experience the, that kind of love like from a dog and we live longer than dogs so we're lucky enough to where we get to own more than one and uh everyone you lose makes you appreciate the next one even more yeah we're we're kind of unworthy in that way right yeah no i yeah definitely that's a good way well your attitude is about all of this stuff is something that i i've been sort of drawn to as you and i've been talking and uh, man, I'm I'm so sorry that that happened to you, and but I do appreciate you you sharing what you could here. Just again, as as at least sort of a public service announcement to folks listening. I I personally had never heard of Valley Fever when you mentioned it to me. We were talking a little bit. I immediately thought of uh, blastomycosis, I think, and that's kind of a fungal thing that dogs can get into in the woods. And I honestly I don't know much about it. And I guess I would, as I like to do, like if anybody has more information on valley fever or blastomycosis or any of these kinds of things that it kind of seems like like unpreventable right like you mentioned um some excavation going on so maybe you would avoid an area like that but other than that it's you know you put it into the category of like unknown risks and perils that we all face when when we do this stuff and our dogs are they're putting it laying it all on the line as we all know every single time and there there are those risks but appreciate you sharing yeah, that I, at least I, you know i even recently read something on uh i think it was a dog up in canada that ended up getting bird flu really from yeah it was somebody like a lab or something picked it up from retrieving birds so like there's there's things out there you can't see right that could obviously take your dog from you but i don't like if if something happened to me i don't think lady would want to be sitting in a kennel i think she'd want to be out there going yeah and i don't think she I've always been that way, I guess, when I lose a loved one or something in life. I've never really, I don't want to make this sound cold-hearted, but I try not to dwell on it. I don't think that they would want you sitting around being sad. Yeah. And so I've kind of, that's the way I've kind of looked at it is I don't think she'd want me giving things up. Now, I didn't, uh, I didn't hunt much after I lost her. I went out a couple days, just me and Forrest and pebbles but uh i picked up her ashes and that was kind of i ended the season this is my last time of the season i picked up a uh, lady's ashes from the bet and uh, i put her in my pouch my game bag and headed out with forest and pebbles and uh there was something i don't know you would, you'd have a hard time convincing me we were alone that day uh that's special man yeah we went out and uh, i ended up taking i ended up over some pretty stellar dog work i uh got my 15 quail down there and i shot i went six 
four and five with the for the Scalies, Gambles, and Mearns. My last ton of the season, you know, I get, did the little Arizona slam and got all three and shot my 15. It wasn't your traditional 5-5-5. Five, five, five. But, um, yeah, there was... She was with you. Yeah, something about that day. Yeah. Yeah, so that's where I ended it. And then uh, the dogs and I hung out down there in the nice weather for a bit and uh, turned around. I stayed down there. I don't know, a few weeks after the season. And then I found a camper that was for sale up here in Michigan. And after living in the truck for a season, <laughs> and then Cliff brought his pop up down to Arizona that we stayed in. And I was like, man, this is way nicer than living in that truck. And <laughs> I ended up picking up a camper and I'm just, I'm paying lot rent. I got it sped up, parked out at a place and staying there for the summer before I take off again. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit UplandGunCompany.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So the truck life, so we got truck life 2.0, you're, you're upgrading yeah. to the camp for this year. <laughs> yeah. I guess you might as well have some, uh, uh creature comforts world. Yeah. Some first world, ac- <laughs> like accommodations at this point. Yeah. And when, when you say, well when a- you say pop-up camper, I immediately think of like, like an old pop-up tent camper that, you know, I did lots of camping in that when I was younger and some, you know, some very fond memories. Like is Cliff's an old one like that? Or has he got a new one? And I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, have they, have they come a long ways or what? Cliff, uh, he, he bought his used, So it is a little bit older. I mean, it's a nice setup, but that's what Cliff brought, brings out to camp. And we've been doing camp in that thing, our grouse camp now for shoot, probably four years. Okay. And then this year it made the trip to our, we did a pheasant camp in Michigan for a weekend with, uh, there's probably six of us. And then we, he brought it down to Arizona and Cliff and I lived out of that camper for a little less than a month at a, we just got a place at a campground. Wow. And then his wife and two of our buddies came down and hung out for a week. And actually his wife stayed longer than that and ended up riding back with Cliff at the end of the month. So that was, it was a fun camp to be down there when it was nasty up here and you know these uh our buddy joe had never been down to arizona and 
so again, Bonnie didn't go, Cliff's wife, and of course, Cliff and I are always going to do these things, and she gets a bit of the short end of the stick sticking <laughs> around the business while we're out, you know, having a good time. And so to bring her down to Arizona and have a little bit nicer weather than sure. they had back here at home is pretty nice. Yeah. So I'd mentioned to you that when when you and I were talking the first time, we weren't really planning to get into the whole living out of your truck and that kind of thing, but it was a a little topic of conversation and there's a lot of interest there. And then that kind of spurred my conversations with Jimmy Lewis about, we did a little two part thing on upland overlanding and kind of camping and just that, that sort of stuff that a lot of us do little trips like that. But looking back, so now we, you're getting a camper this year. So you're kind of upgrading the system a little bit, but going back to the truck thing, like what worked well, what didn't work. I remember you talking about, you had mentioned those window screens to me, and this is something that Jimmy and I talked about, and I thought I ordered some, but I actually I actually never did. So I, I still thought that was a cool idea, but any any little gear items or things that worked really well or didn't work? Um, the main thing that I, the main thing I use a lot of, and I've been using every day since July 1st, I believe, um, is my solar panel okay. with my fridge and freezer. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't even know if we got into that at the time. Maybe we did, but yeah, there's a, I have a solar panel in there with a, uh, a 200 watt solar panel that runs a 1200. Um, what is that? It's a solar generator. So a 1200 watt solar generator and it runs a 12 volt fridge and freezer. So it just plugs in, looks like a cooler. I plug it in. I keep it in the bed of my truck. So it's while got I'm on a, two I'm compartments or something, fridge and freezer. Yeah, but okay. I can I can set them both individually, so I could turn even the big side into a freezer. Sure, okay. Which is what I did going down to Arizona because after this past deer season, I actually I had a pretty good deer season. Actually, nice. I didn't shoot any I didn't shoot any nice big bucks, but I, the got few does medicine. I shot were great in the freezer. Yeah, awesome. So I um yeah I took a lot of venison. I'm still living on that venison. I remember yeah. you, you, we were talking that the last time and you were, it was, we were kind of laying out your season. You're like, yeah, I'll be back home for, for deer season, hopefully get some venison. So it sounds like you were successful there. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, pretty good to us the whole way through, really. I mean, I hunt with some of my buddies and stuff and do you rifle hunt. Yeah. Yep. I did shotgun down here, but actually okay. this year I, my buddy loaned me a 450 to go out and try. So I ended up, I got one of my crossbow, one of my shotgun, and then I ended up hunting his place and got a couple does with that 450. Okay. Which was first time I've got to hunt with one of those, and I it might be on the list of things to buy. <laughs> yeah. Over shooting the old, you know, the rifle, um, rifle barrel. I just hunt with Mossberg 500 I've had since I was 10. Sure, yeah, yeah. So that's been my deer gun, but. So, yeah, so so what's the, what's the brand of the uh, freezer? cooler thing you got it's bouge rv okay. is what i have for the freezer the solar panel and my generator okay. on their website they have them as kits um you got to buy the cable to go from the solar panel into the generator and i would i didn't have to i haven't bought a bag of ice in a year and i've been living in a truck yeah you know it, that is something that you're not worrying about water there's never anything leaking there's never i probably would have had you know, it's, I guess for the cost of everything, would I have spent that on ice? No, not yet, but eventually I would at least probably paid for the fridge, not the, not everything in the cost of ice, not the solar panel and the generator as well, but that generators are also 
runs uh like charges all my collars, mm-hmm. charges all my fans. It does everything I need it to. And I mean, shoot, I was out there with a pair of buzzers. You know, I can shave my face and do a haircut. You have power <laughs> to do pretty much yeah. anything you need to do. And, you know, and that's uh, that uh, you can't beat that. And so I actually we had a, when I got back to Michigan, we had a power outage and I had just moved into the camper. I was where I was parked. Everybody over at my buddy's place at the time. There we are out of power, but I just grabbed that solar generator, drug it inside, and I had power, full power in the camper. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I was still getting charged it every day. The sun came up. Here I am charging my battery back up, and I was out there and where the furnace going. So I want to understand, trying to wrap my head around how the system works. Is it like a set it and forget it type? Because the fridge freezer thing sounds awesome, not messing with ice, just something you don't have to think about. So like... Do you have to put these panels out to charge everything up to then run the run it, or do you have the panels on the roof and like you're just not even thinking about it? I mean, how does it work? I mounted the panel on top of uh, my dog kennels. I got a six hole dog box. Okay, wrap uh, on my truck. So I mounted the panel up there, and I I, I didn't want to screw holes in it. So I actually did a little homework and I taped that thing down oh, no with kidding. two different types of tape. Yeah, and it's gone. It's been on there since end of may last year and i've driven all around the country yeah yeah and you can go up there and lift it and the truck rocks instead of the tape moving so <laughs> yeah i uh it's secure. I that. yeah it's up there pretty good i mean the speed limits out west some places are 80 right right you know, 85 and i it's it's up there but yeah so that sits on top of my truck um i drilled a hole in through my uh, cab brake light that's on the top mm ran the cable for the solar panel down into the back uh, back seat of the truck where I keep the solar generator. And then I have a, another cable that runs from the solar generator um, out my back door. And then, well, it goes back up through the top, actually. And then down into the bed of my truck where the fridge and freezer are. And the only thing you have to watch is if it gets cold enough outside at night, the fridge and freezer will shut off. Ah. So in the morning, that's when I you know, go to do dog food or water. I get the water back there anyway, or dog water anyway. I've dropped the tailgate down and I just look to make sure the screen's lit up. And if the screen's lit up, I'm good to go. And if it's not, I just go in and hit the button on the generator and it's back on. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's pretty much just to set it and forget it. The one thing I did have it wiggle unplugged one day, but I mean, I've never, even when you turn it on in the morning, if it shuts off overnight, the temperature is shifted by minimal, you know, amount right. in the degrees. There's not that much of a change in it. Right. I haven't lost anything using it. So. Yeah, yeah, it's good, good insulated cooler to begin with. Yeah. So, so that solar generator, I mean, is this, and again, like people may have a lot more info on this than I do, but is that like just a little unit just totally silent in the back of your truck? like there's yeah, not, you there's... do hear a fan that kicks on every now and then okay but it's not yeah it's um it's not invasive it's not making any noise or anything it's just it's drawing all of its power from that solar panel and then it just stores it it's pretty much it's got a deep cycle battery in there so with it is, an inverter. it's storing power while you're getting the sun and then it can yeah. you know in theory run that cooler all night long or whatever yep and i mean honestly when i wake up and charging all my collars my gopro running that fridge um running my even running my heating blanket at night because oh. i when i'm sleeping in the truck i'd plug my heating blanket into that thing nice <laughs> i would maybe lose 
25% of my battery. Wow. Yeah. So there you got, you got plenty of juice there. Yeah. I went a little overboard what I needed, but sure. you would rather have too much than too little when it comes to those types of things. Um, always buy, if you're looking into that, buy a bigger panel than you think you need and get more wattage out of your generator than you think you need. Buy once, cry once. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that way. Cause they do, you know, just like any battery, as you recharge it, you're slowly losing life. Yep. So I believe on this unit, it was like at 500 charges, it drops down, you're going to lose like 20% of your battery. Okay. And don't quote me, it might be a thousand. I don't remember what it, I looked at a bunch of these things before I bought it. Yeah. But um, even at 20%, at 80% well, at eighty of that battery, I'm going to be able to run everything I'm running anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so, yeah, that's, that's good planning at, at the outset. Like you said, just knowing like you got a ton of juice, you yeah, got to lose some. Extra just in case. Cause I mean, even yeah. like today it's overcast, I'm not getting full sun and full charge. So yeah. I know I've got extra in the bank in the little bit that I'm, if I only had a hundred watt panel, I'd be bringing in half of what I'm bringing in right now to my mm-hmm. 200 watt. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember Jimmy saying something, those solar panels have like, you know, they're, they're made to be used for a long time. Like they got like 20 year warranties on, and, you know, I don't know exactly, but it was, it was impressive from what he was yeah, saying. The technology has come a long way to what you can put out, but you will, the one thing I would keep in mind, if you buy a hundred watt panel, you will never get a hundred watts out of that panel. Mm. And even my 200 watt panel, the most I've ever gotten out of it is like 180. Okay. So they don't, you know, when you're doing your math, the I guess. Rating's how much a little high. Need, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, it, it's got to be, I'm, I don't angle mine at all. So it's just sitting flat. You yeah. know, I might think about where I'm parking and give the truck a little tilt. But at sure. the same time, I'm sleeping back there and I don't want to sleep on an angle. Yeah, right, right. So, you know, that is, you're never getting your peak input, I guess, is the way I would put it. Yeah. You just always plan on having a little less and. That is the one thing, like, uh, there was a couple times I drove back into somewhere and I was like, man, I don't know if I'm getting out of here today. And I was, I was like, well, I know I got enough food and I got enough power. I don't, I don't need to get out of here necessarily today <laughs> if I don't want to. Yeah. And the only time I had an issue, I will say in Michigan, um, I shot a deer with my crossbow in October. And while I was up north grouse hunting, uh, Cliff had just left, and I had a few days, and there was some weather moving in, and I was like, I'm going to try to capitalize on shooting a deer. At this point, I needed the meat. And um, I ended up getting a deer, and it was so just crummy. For It was it was kind of awful, to be honest, to live in that tent in that truck for the, like two and a half weeks. Even talking to Cliff, he was like, I kind of felt sorry for you after I left you. <laughs> As, as the fall the went on <laughs> yeah i had hunted in the rain at all and then we go out and hunting that morning it was wet and raining so now i'm wet mm. looked like a you know a sad dog or rat i guess <laughs> and he was leaving and he left and i had just had you know the tp set up and i was slowly losing power but i probably had what i needed for about four days of that wow and i ended up going to a campground where I, they had power where i could plug in because you can charge that off shore ground as well. Okay, so I, sure. Yeah. That way I could keep, because I just shot this deer as well. So I went there, set up my teepee. I, pre, I quartered this deer up and everything and pretty much had it manageable sizes. But I went there, set up my tent, and plugged in my truck. And so I could process that deer and get everything cut up and packaged while I was turning my fridge into a freezer. Because I had it cooler, 
you know, on the one side and I needed the big side now to pack that whole deer into. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to be drawing extra power anyway. So if you're getting into something like that, you just kind of be like, well, I guess I got to go pay for this for a couple of days, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is what I went and did that. And then at the same time I had, you know, they had typically have running water and stuff at the campground so I could wash stuff as I was sure, sure. Getting done processing that deer and everything. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're pretty dang self sufficient, but you can always there are there are some things you can fall back on too. Which right, is yeah, and that's the kind of thing looking at it is. Yeah, I went out there. I wasn't trying to necessarily stay at the campground, but after you know, I spent three days there and I left all my battery and everything was at a hundred percent. And I was like, well, I know I'm good for the next four, and it looks like it stops raining in a day or two. So. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm not it's it wasn't too bad, and I you had to play with it a little bit to know how far I could go. Mm-hmm kind of type of thing you know before i could just roll out a roll out and go well i'm not going to lose any of this meat because that's you know that's the last thing you want to do is have right. a whole deer packed in there and all of a sudden you got no way to keep it cold and i'd be i did take a emergency cooler like i had just emergency gear packed in it in the back so if i had to empty that and go get ice i mean i could do that yeah yeah good fun yeah 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 i tried to try to be semi-prepared but that was probably out of everything I probably took and used on this trip, that solar generator is probably something that, and that solar panel that I still use to this day, even a key piece of the setup. Yeah. That was probably the one thing that I think I probably couldn't have done it without, or at least would have been miserable without, because I've been pulling food out of a cooler. It's got a bunch of water. Right. Yeah. That would get old very fast. Yeah. Real fast. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's really neat. That's cool. Any other upgrades coming to the coming to the setup, like things that you you found yourself without? Um, you know, obviously the camper will will be outfit a little bit differently, but anything else sort of on your list? Like I gotta gotta get this next year. Um, man, as far as as far as dog wise and stuff goes, like in hunting wise, I think I'm pretty sad. I did pretty run. Yeah, I finally upgraded my pouches this past year. Bought one of the the final rise. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, the smaller one. What the, is that? The, the sidekick. sidekick. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Nice. And I, I wore that the whole season, all the way through Montana, Michigan, and Arizona and stuff. And good. That did everything I needed it to everywhere. So that I did upgrade to that. Um, I really the camper. I now have a furnace and a heater and water tanks, right. and a bathroom and a shower. And so now I, you know, I. So, oh, so this is a decent, decent yeah. uh, camper. Yeah, it's a 17 foot camper, but okay. yeah, it's got everything in there that I pretty much. I mean, I got a little two burner stove in there, microwave, a fridge. There's yeah, pretty much everything you need is in that thing. Do you do you envision being able to get it everywhere you need it, or will you kind of have to be strategic in base camping and then going off on your hunts, or how will that work? I think, uh, I guess exploring new areas is going to be the issue. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I, I really didn't want something to pull around behind me and i don't know if i'm gonna if i know i'm going off and coming back to somewhere i don't know if i'm gonna take it like right if i'm going for a couple of weeks and coming back to michigan i'm probably going to go out and leave it here in michigan but if i'm going for a month or you know on the road for a couple months i'm gonna take you it bring with me it, the yeah. thing we do down in arizona is find a campground i'll probably start looking for a few campgrounds and kind of have a little base camp and I have the truck set up anyway with the fridge and freezer still, so I can pretty much leave the camper somewhere for a few days if I wanted, you know, campground wise. Yeah. Um, I know some of the states have like a two day parking thing where you can stay parked somewhere for two days and you got to move. Mm-hmm. So 
I, you know, I know some places where I could go park a camper and stay and then I would go explore yep. and kind of make sure I can get into where I want to go and get a camper over there, you know, within the, you know, after my two days, move it further. But I don't see it being necessarily a, an issue and getting it in. I know I'm not, I know I can't get it into everywhere I right, go. Right, right. Definitely. But I know I can park it somewhere and get in there but with just the truck. Yeah. But, yeah. There's ways to work around that. Yep. Yeah, but I think just the amount of time, uh, I don't know, like the, I didn't want to be in a tent anymore. Yeah. There gets to be a point where that's just, it's not doable on a long-term scale. Yeah. And I mean, it is, don't get me wrong, you you could, you but at yeah, the same yeah. time, I'm not trying to be miserable. I'm trying to enjoy my life. You're, so. you're finding that balance for you and your dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Everyone's got that point where they're like, I could deal with this or I could deal with that. And yeah. like, I could deal with it, but I don't necessarily have to. Yeah. Exactly. So I'd rather deal with, I guess, moving the camper around than my knees are starting to hurt, to be honest, from sleeping in that truck. <laughs> and I'm, I'm over six foot tall yeah. and sleeping in that truck was just not, it was doable, but I could just feel myself kind of getting beat up and doing it. And like, you <laughs> where, where, how did that. you sleep in the truck? I don't, I don't remember talking about I that. I put a platform across the, I took the back seat and put a flat platform back there okay but you're not so fully sprawled could, out no i yeah. could put stuff underneath it okay and then i could sleep on it but i was kind of kicking my legs up front occasionally and i mean i to be honest i walked so much this season i mean i was in the field for months yeah and months. you know i, I stopped keeping track of the days because they all started to run together i was gonna ask you that <laughs> I don't even, yeah, I don't even know how many days I spent in the field. I started, you know, end of July, that very last few days of July, and I hunted until February 10th. Or Jeez, something like man. That. That's wild. And I did, yeah, there were some days off in between sure. here and there, but yeah, that's pretty much that. I spent a lot of time with these dogs and got to see these dogs come a long ways this season. Yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. sort of talking about this with you again in the preview, like before the season. Like when you do something like that, you know, you're you're basically if you compare that to to somebody else's hunting season, like even mine, you know, I get, I would say I get an above average day of above average number of days in the woods. But like when I go out west, you know, it's five five to seven days, and I do that once a year. Like you're out there for a couple months, you know, you got five years of my experience all packed into one year. You know, it's, that's really cool. It gives you some time. Yeah, it, it definitely. And having the knowledge, I guess, of growing up in the outdoors that I do, like, I feel like I can soak certain things in really fast. Sure. And school was never my strong suit, but I could tell you where I caught my biggest smallmouth of my life and what the weather was like and what lure I was throwing still to this day. I love it. And, you know, there's certain things I remember that, uh, that kind of click really well. And yeah, that's, you know, when I go out chasing these birds and kind of like the dogs and there's certain things I can pick up on quickly. And so it didn't take me long. Like I said, out there, I went out there to look for the huns. And once I found yep. a couple cubbies, I was like, all right, I can repeat this over and over again. And I just and then every time you find one, you're like, well, this was different or that was different or what time of day was it? And where was the sun is it overcast and just that sort of thing like you can put if you if that's where your mind's at you can focus on a lot of that and it was just me and the dogs and so i could focus on what was going on without having too many distractions yeah absolutely so, yeah yeah if that was a really cool part of it i guess is 
not only did I spend that much time out there, but the dog spent that much time out there yeah. learning as well. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we didn't get too deep into that, but I, I want to talk a little bit about, cause this was something you and I chatted about kind of some, the dogs being in the woods or in the field that much and being on so many wild birds, like some light bulb moments, you saw these dogs learn and grow kind of right before your eyes day after day. Like what, uh, what were some of the highlights? What were some of those moments that maybe stick out to you? I'm going to, I guess I'll start back at the beginning. Yeah. This is when the dogs are the most raw. And so Pebbles, this was her first hunting season. How, how um, she would have, she turned a year last August. Okay. So she's yep. So she was just over a year old going into the season, but she didn't hunt at all last year. Okay. Yeah, and I, rem- I remember seeing videos before the season started of you getting the dogs on sharp tails and stuff again as we yep, were all looking she ahead. She was showing some interest. Not sure she wasn't. Uh, she was running some birds over, but mm-hmm. she was showing some interest in pointing, and then she she was just kind of learning, figuring it out. And she was like, well, I've, you know, I've never done this, and I'm not." She had seen. She'd seen a handful of pigeons just to get her gun breaking done. And then Cliff and I ran some birds, some quail before we, I, I headed out to Montana. We got some and I, I hung out with him for like 10 days. So, and she's never had on a check cord or been well broke or anything like that. So it was just a raw natural dog. And lady was, um, lady had a little bit of woe training last summer. Mm-hmm. But that first season, I just like seeing what that raw natural development's going to do. I'm not, I guess you see a lot of people who are into training dogs. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of them guys. Yeah, I, neither am I. <laughs> yeah, I'm not one of those guys. I just let that dog do its own, develop its own thing. Just these birds are going to teach it what I, what no one else can. Mm-hmm. And so I ran Pebbles um, in August and she was blowing over birds and she was running with Forrest a lot. And when forced to go on point, the only time I really teach the dogs, well, we're going, I'll say, well, when we're going in and out of the door or yep. in and out of the kennel or when I feed them, you know, and I've, I've worked it into some retrieves, you know, I'll, I'll get them, whoa, and I'll get that dog to stop and I'm throwing them a dummy. So they understand the concept, but it's never been forced. Sure. Yep. And um, so I'm saying, whoa, to her. And she was stopping occasionally. She wasn't doing it all the time. And some of the videos in this season, you see me saying, whoa, to pebbles and, she kind of blows me off, but at the same time, the dog's never actually been trained to stop when I say it. I just kind of, we're working on it. She's, yeah, yeah. We're getting there. I'll, I'll do it this summer. Once I have a couple puppies in, I'll get some birds. And I'll go, you know, I'll start working on it. But right now, we're not doing anything. But um, she started backing instantly. Yep. It was like the first week of the season. As soon as I got the shotgun out and ran her, I had shot her a couple birds at this point that she pointed. Forrest goes on point and she had been running with Forrest for a month just watching. Well, every time he stops and birds are getting up when, you know, so now yeah. there's Forrest and she saw him at probably 60, 80 yards and just boom. And with style and was like low to the ground, a lot of intensity. And I, she goes, you know, she's like, Oh, there's going to be a bird there. And you could see, I like, I just kind of got some goosebumps. Yeah. Like you could see it click where she was like, Oh, there's going to be a bird there. He stopped and she was that's when it clicked for her. She knew what we were doing once I shot her one or two. She was like, oh, that's how I get this thing. Mm-hmm. So she was kind of running around like, I don't understand. Yeah, the blank gun's going off. I'm I'm pointing some. And she was pointing ones that she was getting right under her nose, you know, a, a straggler that would wait to take off. And 
but it, it was only a couple times and I, I shoot one and she's like, that's how I get, that's how I get this thing in my mouth. Yeah. Right. And this, I'm going to give an example of two different kinds of dogs here. So now she's back in forest and I'm not going to put a number on how many birds I shot in Pebbles first season Yeah, over, over her, but man, like that dog was proof of what can happen when you put them on enough of them. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you go and watch some of the Merns videos I have of her out and you watch that first video I have of her in Montana, that's a first season dog and she pretty much looks like a finished dog, but right. she doesn't understand well. With, with yeah, a few months in between those videos. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and you can totally see the whole how she came from a puppy running around not knowing what was going on to uh, I don't know how to what name words to use to describe what Pebbles did in her first season. Yeah. I guess, you know, with the amount of opportunity she had, she definitely took advantage of it. Right. And Lady being the other kind of dog, I guess, uh, who had already had a, a season under her belt. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a, yeah, she probably gets into, my dogs probably got into more birds on average. And most people's do probably in a season um, just because the amount of time I spent out there. But this past season. It wasn't you know, the same as, as this most recent right, season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, you know, so she had a little, she had a start, a very good start, but what she did out on the prairie, and Lady was one of them, like, she had caught birds, and brought. Mm. she had caught roughs, I've seen her snag sharp tails out of the air, like, that dog was just a killer, like, she could do it without me, and she knew that, so she was one of those dogs who would test you when she would, she would go on point, and if she got tired of me using that blank gun, and her work actually started going the opposite direction. Interesting. Because she was like, no, if you're not going to help me get this thing, I don't need you. I know I can do it on my own. <laughs> and she could. She would She would catch birds and bring them back to me. And I, you know, and so, and that was, and these, I'm not talking chicks or anything, but I'm talking during hunting season. Yeah. We were going out and she would, yeah, there, she had brought one rough back to me. And I've seen her snag a sharp tail in both Montana and the UP. Jeez. Just, he was pointing a bird and it took off too slow and she broke once the bird took off and she he was on it and just snags it out of the air and so she knows that she can do it without me so she was a dog that once i got the shotgun out and shot one for her and she goes okay we're on the same team again she she's like she would test you if you weren't shooting them for her if you were just running a blank gun and it was it I got some really nice work out of her when we got out there. And then I kind of, I slowed it down a little. So that was the last week or so before the season. I was like, I'm just going to let you sit. Cause you're getting frustrated doing this. Yeah. And, That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I shot her some birds and, um, I will steady a dog up going into the second season and I, and it doesn't have to be a hundred percent for me. I'm not running trials. I don't care. I'm just asking that dog to give me that amount of cooperation. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, and I don't do anything, you know, and it's not, it's probably not going to be a hundred percent in the second, but at least we, we put the idea in that into the dog's head before going to the second season. There's and some, there's some progression there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Just the, Hey, we may go to this, but by the end of the season, it's all falling apart. Yeah. yeah. You know, the dogs are breaking when the birds take off or when the gun goes and yep. even Forrest down in Arizona this year, like he was, he was still, holding some birds you know as they're after taking off because he would go a break and there'd go a straggler or something and so he just he knows better from his experience and would wait so there's another experience of a dog that i had broke it fell apart through the season 
and then he gets down there and he's running, you know, birds covey gets up and he would break to chase the covey and he'd bump another bird or two. Yeah. And then he would stop to flush. Stop to flush. Yep. So now, you know, we got down there. This happened a few times and coveys are, birds are getting up in forest and just standing and waiting. No, you know, I didn't have to ask him to do that again. That was just the dog making his own decision to go. Yeah. I've been moving after they take off and I'm bumping one or two. <laughs> You know, so that's just the dog just yep. mentally going, eh, I don't want to bump another one or two. I'm going to wait and let you get up there and see if there's any more. That's cool. So, and that's just, you don't have to train them to do that. It's just something enough wild birds and running birds and coveys will teach them. Yep. Um, but yeah, that was, I guess, my example, going back to the lady thing, that was my example of two different dogs there. Of Pebbles wants to be your buddy and work with you and go out and, you know, she's going to hunt for the gun because she's never she's never caught one of these birds on herself by herself and that's something you can run into you know with some pen raised birds yeah dog learns it can catch it and you're gonna have an issue with the dog trying to catch birds because it, it learned it could do it without you and there i have lady who even on wild birds she learned she could catch them without me and i haven't seen too many dogs that are doing that but she's out doing that you know she could do that without me and so you know, too much of the training part of it where they're like, I don't need you. I know I can do this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Can kind of hurt things rather than just letting them develop and just seeing what happens with these wild birds where your odds are a little bit better. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. The sort of the natural approach uh, to it. I mean, that's kind of the way that I've sort of developed my style with my dogs is pretty hands off uh, the natural way. And that it influenced a lot by Jerry Coulter, the breeder of where I, where I get my dogs. Um, that's kind of how he does it. And again, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to be able to get your dogs into wild birds, it's a great way to do it without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. You see a lot of check cords and belly collars and stuff on dogs. And I've, I put a belly collar on Forrest when he was younger, mm-hmm. just to get, start getting him accustomed to wearing it. And that's kind of, and I, Forrest has probably had more training than the rest of the dogs. I mean, he's seven, right? You know, I mean, he does blind retrieves. He does hand signals on land and in the water for blind retrieves. You know, but I just, we, Forrest was a smart dog, easy to work with. I could do just about anything with him. And I was like, well, I'm going to teach you to do this. I'm going to teach you to do that. Yeah. And now, like, not that I couldn't do that with these other dogs, but I just, I kind of take a back seat and, the dogs and I are both just slightly feral, I guess. I think I think that's pretty natural with a first dog too, though, right? Because you you come into this and you think there's all the stuff you need to be doing as the as the right. owner handler, but then as you see it play out, um, you realize you can be a little bit more hands off. At least that's how it happened for me, which I've talked about a lot. Yeah, it sounds like it was similar for you because was Hartley same way. My older dog, he had he I had a belly collar on him and had him steady on flushing grouse in the spring and i i just pretty much do the same thing in the fall it's just that now i mean last year i didn't even really do any steady work ahead of the season i just it's all about reading the dog and and its intent and are we working together as a team and are they trying to get birds pointed and i just it's very natural at this point yeah that's where i think i'll probably teach pebble a little bit more of the woe command i don't even know if i'll use birds to do it but i'm gonna slightly enforce that through the summer and um because that dog's not out to take birds out in front of me like she's trying to hunt for me lady on the other hand was a dog that had a little bit more um screw you and independence to her yeah and it would be a dog that she knew she didn't need me to get that bird and if i was shooting bad or running a blank gun she would might take advantage of that opportunity to go i'm gonna get one anyway so she was a dog that 
going into the early season and running some younger birds, I had her pretty broke. And that was, it was something she kind of needed. She did see a good number of pigeons. I'd put her on a stakeout with a little bit longer cable on it. And I'd get out there and just get her woed up and throw pigeons and just let her watch some birds fly. But that's not, you know, at that point, I'm really just teaching the dog, whoa. Mm-hmm. And yep. you don't chase. And I'm taking some of the chase out. And doing that too young can kind of screw a dog up. So that's, it's, you got to be able to, like you said, read the dog and know, like, Lady was a dog who was going to go out and probably try to get a bird if I wasn't doing very well. She's going to go, all right, fine. Well, if you're not going to get here in time or, you're not shooting very well and not going to shoot it. I'm going to try to get it. So that was a dog who was hunting for herself a little bit. Yeah. And I enjoyed that. Don't get me wrong. Right. Yeah. yeah I was just going to add in too. like, I mean, there's, there's other reasons to, to have a woe on your dog, you know, safety. You want to be able to stop them. I mean, I, I yeah. appreciate, I always think back to, I interviewed uh, Pete Fisher. He's a, he's a rep for Dogtra and he always, and I've, I've come across this, more than once it's just a very simple way to kind of distill like kind of the the things that you need to your bird dog to do which is to come to you to go away from you and to stop and stay where you are whether it's a pointing dog or a flushing dog i mean those kind of three things and they have applications in the field but they also have applications around the home you know for safety all that stuff so it's good to have that worked in regardless yeah and you could see like uh i mean you could see just the how things progress through the season quite a bit with yeah even uh, the, the the running of the birds was another thing, like to where that's something you dogs don't learn when they're on just pen raised birds. Yeah, the moving and relocating and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's something you can't teach a dog if you're not on wild birds. And yeah. at this point, like there's been, I've watched Forrest and Pebbles or even Forrest and Lady work once, once Forrest kind of trusted Pebbles, it took him, he's not a dog that's going to back everybody. He's got a, He's gonna. He's kind of like me. Sounds, tell him something, sounds just like my guess. older yeah. dog, man. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna second guess you. He's gonna go no. no I'm gonna figure this out for myself. Actually, I don't believe you. Let me see if I can cut in front of you here. Yeah. Well, his thing is now is he doesn't cut in front of him. He kicks to the right or the left, and he circles out front and starts going from the other way. <laughs> so he is literally just going to pinch birds and running out the other side. Yeah. But he'll like he'll back uh, Cliff's dogs, uh, Ember and Yeti. Cause he hunts with them at this point. He, I've, you know, stopped him a couple times when going in on points. So he, and he trusts them. There's, he's seen birds get up in front of him. Yeah. So he'll, he'll back them and he was starting to back lady, but, um, he still pebbles ran so many birds over that he had pointed in August. I think he's just got it out for, and he's like, no, nah, you like, I've seen you screw up so many times. I'm going to go see, I'm sneaking around you. You're too young to be, you have too much respect yet. I never would have guessed that dogs would sort of pick and choose who they back, but I've seen it with my own two eyes with, with my older dog, Hartley. He's the same way. It's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And it's not, you know, it's not anything I've forced forced to do whenever he sees right. a dog, you know, with these wild birds and you're out hunting. Sometimes it's nice having a dog. that's not going to back the other one. Cause they're moving. Mm, yeah. You know, that them birds are moving most likely. And that was, I was going to touch on that slightly too. Like, uh, the woodcock thing, like running woodcock and stuff like that. I just, and I did that a lot with force and yep. I, I'm not doing that anymore with any puppies. I just, I, I think it teaches them that, uh, a habit of getting really close to those birds and they're not moving. Cause I watched Forrest this year, a very experienced dog go into the Merns country and those birds 
they they run very little they, and I, they're they'll sit but they are they're moving you know so they're moving on you just a little bit sure and i would consider compare it to woodcock hunting just by how tight they actually sit like you, they're right under the dog's nose occasionally yep. and force is almost having an issue when we first started because he was hitting it the scent and he's like all right where'd they go and they're sitting right underneath him mm. you know so it took a covey or two for him to go and these things really aren't running they're right there they're just sitting <laughs> here and you know so he almost didn't trust his nose and you could kind of see him they'd get up and he'd give me that look like what the heck yeah i don't think they were actually right here he goes i just smelled them you know you could kind of read it in his face and that was uh they kind of it's man the the country you're in for those birds is a lot more beautiful and it has a lot more to it than hunting woodcock but I think they they get taken advantage of. I saw a lot of guys this year where we're bang shooting a lot of hens and stuff, and it's completely legal to do. And I'm not trying to take any way anything away from a guy who had a weekend to go down there and he shot what he had an opportunity to shoot, you know, anything like that. But there's a there's kind of a thing to it. After I ran Forrest in there for a couple of days, like down there doing that, I just put him away. And those birds, they they're great for puppies mm. and young dogs the way they hold and i really just ran my younger dogs on those burns and they were the amount that they learned down there and the dog work i got out of them after being all these other places kind of like you know sharp tails sit a little bit tighter sure yep yep the huns get up further out in front of that dog mm-hmm. so they got to work better come back to michigan the, the woodcock are holding i mean yeah, yeah. right if at, at this point i'm not trying to might be slightly controversial here but if you find woodcock to be a worthy adversary for your dog we're probably on a slightly different level of what we're trying to do yeah because it's just not it's it's not a challenge it's a it's their opportunity the frequency of opportunity is is a lot higher and i mean yeah i know what you're saying yeah and it's it's just not the opportunity yeah but just the the way the dog the dog doesn't have to put any effort it just got stopped well, especially yeah, when, when you're comparing good. and contrasting to the to the the bird in the same woods, the rough grouse. It's yeah, it's it's entirely yeah. different. Yeah, you know, so that's you know, you pick these things out that are like for forest. I wanted to give him a challenge, so I gave him scale quail and gambles. Yeah, because they're they're the birds down there. It's drier typically. You know, down in the desert, they're running a lot. And I was like, well, we're gonna go have fun with these. And he had to put on a show for me. My buddy's down there, but he. The, for the week that we were down there yeah and pebbles slowly worked figured it out you know cause, but she was having a great time on merns but she hadn't seen like our rough grouse would run but not quite like them quail down there mm. so she hadn't seen and she hadn't seen pheasants really up here in michigan much a couple but not enough to learn anything like you know what I mean? it's kind of like your weekend hunter i did a weekend hunt with pheasants with my buddies Dog saw some birds. We had our best day of pheasant hunting we've ever had in Michigan, but I don't think she learned anything. You know, they only had a couple contacts through the day. Yeah, she needs more frequency you, to. Right, yeah. and so you, I got her finally, got her down in the desert, and she was losing some birds, some coveys. They were just, you know, they're getting away from her, and then you got a dog like Forrest who's like, I know this, these birds are, you know, just running as far as they can, and he instantly just starts tracking. Yeah. And then once he's close enough, he swings around and starts cutting birds off. And that's the one thing about Forrest is, yeah, he might bump into a bird or two, but he just went and put himself in a disadvantage in the wind because he's trying to cut them off. Yep. 
and he, you know, he might catch a bird out of that cubby that was trying to sneak out to the right or left and something like that. But yeah, he's, you can see him do, he'll do it on grouse pheasants. And then he started doing it down there. And once he started doing it down there, I was like, all right, we got this figured out. <laughs> but you know, he's, yeah, I think he's seven now. Yeah. That's cool. So yeah, once he figured that little trick out and he's been doing it more and more in the last few years, and that's not a trick any dog's going to learn on pen race birds. Right. But yeah, that type of thing. And, uh, so but, on yeah. the Mearns thing, I don't know that I ever heard that. Can you, you can identify hens and hens and cockbirds on the wing if you're looking hard It's just hard about as easy as a pheasant. Wow. Yeah, you can pick them out. I, I, the whole time I was down there, I only shot four hens and two of them are for puppies, like right off the bat. Yep. And then, uh, the one actually, they kind of crossed in the air. And I thought I was shooting at the male and dropped a hen, you sure. know, but it, I mean, it's legal. It's not like I was right. But right. just as a, I don't know if you have enough time to go down there and do that. Like I was watching birds fly away. Cause I already took a male out of the cubby and then the dogs would go off and point, you yeah. know, another bird or two in that cubby. And I'd just kind of, huh, eh, eh, we already got ours. We'll leave them. You know, if someone else walks this canyon and pulls a bird out of it, there's, you know, there's another bird out. And yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it I makes hit, sense if you can, if you can see it. And like you said, the hunt changes a lot when you've got, you know, when you have time and you're not, like you said, you're not down there for a weekend. Um, it really, things can really change, like how you go about your, your hunting based on sort of time opportunity, et cetera. And if you, I mean, that makes total sense if you can, if you can see the cockbirds. Yeah. Yep. And that was, uh, I wouldn't, I would chase, um, like the, it's a thing, I guess, in Michigan, when you hunt in a place where you can, can't see more than 40 yards, when you shoot at a bird, you go that way no matter what. Right. So that's kind of just instilled in me, I guess. And I do the same thing out west or down south or whatever. Like, I shot at this bird. Yes, I saw him keep going, but I'm going to go look that way. Sure. Yep. And the cool thing about that was, because I was running the younger dogs, um, and Pebbles, I watched this kind of happen from start to finish is when we would do the follow-up a lot of times she would bump that bird because mm. the gun just went off we haven't gone necessarily that far and then the next bird contact i don't know if she was still thinking is this bird down yes the bird just got wind washed and now it's most likely the covey hasn't been sitting there's less scent mm-hmm. you know so now there's only one bird that's sitting there too most likely and so it, it just ups the challenge and the difficulty level. And I would see that dog bump into that bird. So a lot of times I'd go chase that male and watch him take off, you know, cause he got bumped or something like that. And, yep. but, um, at the same time, if I went chasing that male and dog goes on point, I got some good dog work and I haven't taken a bird out of that covey. I was, then I got my follow up on the bird and got some nice dog work and a repeat, you know? Yeah. So, and I got two, two good dog and, you know, encounters on that bird and with one taken, which was, you know, it's always a bonus when you can get extra work on a bird. And that it was a, there was a bit of a controversy actually down there with in Arizona recently with non-resident hunters mm. and their wing barrel report that came in this year. And I've got a little bit of mixed feelings on it, but like they, they got their limit set at like eight birds. And I was down there for, I don't know, from Christmas into February. Yeah, I didn't go out once and shoot my limit of Merns. Yeah. I don't, you know, I mean, it's not like I hunted every day. I would run one dog a day for three or four hours and hunt the next one because I only had four dogs, three dogs, really. 
so I was, you know, I was pretty light on my impact. I felt and trying yeah, to take out the mail. Yeah, you're you're just suggest the limit's pretty high. Yeah, yeah, but I feel like it could be like I had, I had some great days and I didn't need to go out there and shoot my eight. But yeah, if they were looking for a solution, that would maybe be my my start of it. It doesn't need you don't need to take that many. I mean, if I had a guess and I haven't looked up the numbers. Our rough grouse population here in Michigan is probably higher than the Mearns population in Arizona, and we our limit's five. Right, right, right. Just yeah. uh, you know, just throwing that out there, I guess. It's, well, there's ways to fix things. And I mean, I the listeners will know. I, I've yet to hunt quail. I will say from afar, like not having ever hunted quail, I, I I see those limits of birds, and I mean they seem high, but that's just because. I don't hunt any birds that have that high of a limit. So like, again, I, I don't have much context to go along with it, but it's, you know, you see 15 birds or whatever. I mean, it seems like a lot of birds and I know sometimes you got multi-species and that, that sort of thing too, right. but it is a, it's a lot of birds to be killing. Yeah. And that's what I, like I said, I, one day I shot my, you can get up to eight merns in a day down there and then 15 quail total. Yeah. Okay. And okay. the one day I shot 15 quail and that was my last hunt of the season. And, you know, the reason I did that is because lady was following us around somewhere. So, and that was my, my last little walk with the dogs yeah, and yeah. the way I ended my, pre- I mean, I'll probably never have another season like that where I spend that much time in the field. Cause I, I, I don't think I'll get started as early this year, Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I'll be, I'll be back at it again this year doing not the same route. I'm going to check out a couple other States, I think, and do a couple different things. We have some speeches I haven't done yet. So yeah, what what, uh, what states did you hit last year? Montana, Arizona, Michigan. Was that just the three? Yep, that was it. That was okay. my little triangle I made. So yep, I was nice little variety there. Yeah, yep, and it was the cool thing about it was like just yeah, you would come back after Montana and being out in the prairie, the dogs learned to handle really well. They went and worked with you. You know, they could see you for a long ways. Yep. They were getting a ton of bird contacts and you just have the confidence to let that dog roll when you're out there because you can see it. And then yep. you come back to the woods and you and that dog have a little bit of a handling relationship already. And, you know, so you can let that dog roll and go, well, that dog understands direction slightly mm-hmm. yep. and it should be able to find its way back to me. And so you can kind of let the dog roll and do its thing. Um, I will say the prairie kind of ruined the woods for me this year. <laughs> in what way? In what way? I spent so much time out there. And just the shooting ability, one. Got a little claustrophobic coming home. Yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> I, I got going through the woods, and I even, like, I could feel the dogs even getting a little frustrated. Because, you know, I, I couldn't shoot anything. Yep, yep. And all of a Big sudden, difference. we're going on walks. Yeah, we're going on walks for our bird content. We're not running into multiple, you know, I guess sharp tails are necessarily cubbies, but you're finding multiple family groups in right. September. right. And we're not getting multiple contacts running around in one walk. You know, you're getting your handful of birds here or there. I mean, we had some days where we were having yeah. anywhere from, I mean, I guess, 8 to 16 bird walks. But there weren't as many 16 bird walks, I felt like, this year as there were the year before. Yeah. I mean, when you, 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 when you think about, you know, sharp tails, like you said, you're putting up groups of birds so the number of birds can get up pretty high but still you know you can go out and flush 50 to 100 100 sharp tails or more and again that's not 100 contacts but uh, it puts everything right. into perspective I mean, you for you again, good and you know and you can see where they're going and maybe put a different dog on yeah i'll try to get into that 
you know, a bird that went down short or something like that, you can work towards that again. And it's just hard to get the same kind of contacts in the woods. Yeah. yeah. You can get out there. And that was the two places I saw the biggest jump in, I guess I coming from the grouse woods four stars he has and uh lady already had a pretty wide variety of rough grouse experience already yeah. from last season and Forrest being his age he's got a ton and so i saw them learn more out west and down south and i saw them more learn here and i wanted the bird contacts and even pebbles went out and did great in her first season the grouse woods i don't have any complaints she was actually he really wasn't bumping any birds after coming back from Montana. The dog was pretty spot on. To she would hit bird scent and she would lock up. But she had to she had to learn the relocation thing. Yeah, and start trying to track birds. And I wasn't quite getting her into enough runners to learn it while we were here. But then we went down to Arizona and the quail are running, and she learned how to track real fast. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, she was doing a great job. Even with the merns, like she would, I would just stand there. Because you can step on those things. They're not going to fly, so sure. you got to give the dog some time. And I would I would get the dog moving around and get her released and be like, man, you were real birdie down there. Let's go back that way. And then the dog would get back into that zone and trail it out a different way and go on point 80 yards off. And it's like, oh, see, they went over there. Yeah, that's cool. Getting that dog to slow down and mentally focus a little bit. Yeah, figure, figure it out, right? Figure out the puzzle. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, you just got to stand there and wait. Yeah. And so I got to see her come a long ways, but those are the two places I think I went and I would definitely, I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily, necessarily that Arizona is a great place to go and teach your dog how to hunt or let your dog learn how to hunt for the first time. Um, it's fairly difficult. There's, it's really dry. It's arid. It's there's yeah. a lot of stuff that want to poke you. It could probably a softer dog. It could probably, you know, deter from wanting to go through cover pretty fast sure yeah yeah all the cactus yeah, not, you might end up with a dog that's kind of stuck at your side because it doesn't doesn't have the confidence to go do anything yet yeah but um after the way i kind of did this with these young dogs and giving them that opportunity out west and then back here and then rolling down that way they had so much confidence in the bird thing they weren't really worried about the cover so and i've watched mine just kind of dive through that stuff and not really care but it was yeah the running birds down there are tough on a dog and that i i don't know if people look at them that way or hold them that high i guess as in the desert birds but i think i think maybe people get frustrated with them yeah they're a lot of fun when a dog figures it out yeah yeah when you yeah, yeah, when you can see it's that a challenge. Yeah. i know that in birds it's a challenge to get those dogs to get those birds pointed yeah that's i cool. really enjoy doing that awesome man well, that was yeah. that's some great recap stuff, some great insights. It's uh cool to cool to catch up with you and hear that story. It sounds like you got your plans are coming together for next fall, maybe not uh as long of a of a trip out west, but um you'll be out there again in the camper, right? Yep, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna probably drag the camper around. Uh there's a few things. Uh, I might try to do bobs and chickens. Okay. At some point, maybe hit two different states or something like that. I'm not I haven't done wild bobs and it's something we have technically here in michigan and right. so yeah even though there's not any out there i think i'm gonna go somewhere else and try to do it and yep. see how what that's like and i've got a puppy coming next month okay um and then i believe another britney to, yeah, yeah yeah another I, i'm on the list for possibly 
possibly three before next season. Okay. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I'm with only the two, and I like the puppy development. So I'm still waiting to hear back on what kind of what they think they got in this other litter as far as temperament and boldness, and if I'm going to get one out of it or not. They're not making any decisions, so they're like seven weeks. So Cool. Genetics are all there. I'm just kind of, there's only two females in litter. So, and I was on the list for females and they're keeping one. So I don't necessarily want, um, in the puppy game, I guess I don't necessarily just want the one that they didn't want if they don't think it's going to have the, what I'm looking for. So sure. Not a hundred percent on that one yet, but I'm, we'll see what kind of happens, but, uh, yeah, I'm excited to start doing, playing with some puppies again and getting things rolling and getting a little crew built. Cause I'm just, it's just me forcing pebbles at this point. Yeah. And I feel like um, I'm missing something. <laughs> there should be a whole pack of them. And I just, yeah, I guess I feel a little like an empty nester sort of. I got these two and I don't really need to do anything with them. It's like I might as well bring in another right. pup. Yeah, you need 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 some more dogs on your hands. I yeah, love it. Yeah, to keep me going. I guess someone keep out of trouble because these two are, they're happy just laying around sleeping on my bed in a camper. Yeah. They haven't, <laughs> they haven't, uh, since february 12th or whatever i mean they go out and they'll run around where i'm parked but sure we haven't done any runs or really exercise serious exercise or training or anything we just been it's been two months of sleeping sitting around getting fat like he said yeah oh yeah we are after seven months yeah of just walking and doing miles every day we've been you guys must have been pretty lean by the end of it yeah that's, putting weight back on yeah, that's I now there's you don't see any hips or ribs, and I was like, we may have went a little bit too far, guys, because you don't see mine either. So I was like, we may have to, we may have to go on a little diet here when the summer hits. Well, hopefully, we'll the wait. turkeys will have you hiking a little bit this yeah, weekend. Yeah, that's what I figured. Now that it's getting nice out, and we're finally starting to get some decent weather around here. It was like last week was our first nice week. Yeah, so I'll start getting them out, and we'll go. We'll be swimming before we know it, and I figured once the puppy's here. I'll pick up some birds and start working some dogs out again, but these guys deserved after what they did for me this season, these guys deserve to take a little break and get kind of spoiled. No doubt. So yeah, that's, that was the nice thing about the campers. I'm no longer, we're not just outside or in the box or in the truck, I guess. It's, a little more room yeah. to stretch out. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we've, they've definitely taken advantage of having a full size bed to sleep in. Oh, good. There's nothing that puts a yeah. smile on my face more than a, than a sleeping rested and relaxed bird dog love it yeah yeah and the, yeah mine have had with that season it was just one of those things i guess it was it was a uh, bittersweet the ending of it and yeah. left kind of a sour taste in my mouth but i will probably never learn or you know with having all the dogs with me out in montana too i got to see so many dogs get into birds and yeah i, I learned a lot this year with more than i mean just as much as the dogs learned so I had three days hunting Merns before the history before the season and then five days in Montana and you figure I went and spent you know, five times that everywhere I went. Mm-hmm. So I got to, yeah, it was a, it was a cool year to go out and learn some stuff and kind of dial in the things I had done. And now I'm going to try to work on some other things going into next year. Yeah. Yeah. You crammed a lot in, man. It's, it was cool. Cool to talk to you before it and after it and we'll, talk to you again I'm, I'm sure where can where can everybody go to give you a follow and maybe check out some of the youtube stuff uh northern forest gun dogs it's the same instagram uh i do a facebook i really i don't get on there a whole lot um and then the youtube page 
and I'll have I'm working on that was that kept me busy for a while. I have a bunch of footage obviously from this year. Yep. So I've been working on that and I've got a like I said, this little hunt with the homies series I'm putting out and it's a little bit more laid back. Um and you just you kind of get to see why we do what we do. Sure. And a little bit more of the enjoyment side of it instead of just dog pointing birds, which I know everyone loves to see that. Oh yeah. A <laughs> little bit of little bit of added bonus, shorter little videos, I guess, here of kind of a little bit of insight of the guys that I hunt with and things we do. Awesome, buddy. Well, I encourage everybody to go check that out. I really appreciate you connecting with me again here after the season and thanks for coming on to the show i i really enjoyed talking to you uh, about dogs and birds and places and all kinds of stuff buddy i i do appreciate it and uh yeah thanks for coming on the bird shot yeah thank you it's always fun uh if we uh get to cross paths next fall let's see if we can make something happen let's do it buddy i would i would love to do it i'd love to get out in the woods and chase those brits around let's uh let's make it happen that sounds good i will talk to you later Sounds good, Justin. Hang on here for just a second. That does it for this episode of the Bird Shot Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bird Shot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Bird Shot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.